From WDEV in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Wednesday, January 31st, and today we have guests for you to discuss Israel and Hamas and the history. Uh, That's one issue. And then a second issue, the history of reproductive rights in New York State, along with uh, taking note of the passing of one international superstar and a local Vermonter who touched us all, even if we know, uh, if we didn't know it. Um, first up, my friend Rachel Feldman, a Vermont Jew in her words, who has just returned from a sojourn to Israel. She's here to tell us what she saw and what she felt and still feels now that she is back in Vermont. At 10 a.m., UVM professor of history Felicia Kornblue on her latest book, It's a history of the abortion rights movement in New York State and springs from her own upbringing and watching her mother leading the way from the kitchen table and in the streets. All that at 10 o'clock. We'll end with a remembrance of my friend John Margolis, a great journalist and Vermonter who we lost this week to cancer. John was a columnist at VT Digger and writer of uh, great renown, Uh, among political junkies uh, like me from the 60s to the 70s and 80s and 90s. So we'll remember John a little bit later. We invite you to stay with us for the entire packed two hours. You can hear us at AM 550 in various FM stations, not to mention our podcast at WDEVradio.com. And I hope you'll listen. If you're elsewhere out of the listening area, just click the listen button at WDEVradio.com and you can listen live along with my mom down in New Jersey. The podcast magically, uh, appears magically on our website shortly after the show. I don't exactly know how that happens, but it does. We welcome your calls and emails. The number to call is 244-1777. Send your emails to Viewpoint at RadioVermont.com. But before all that, Cheetah Rivera died this week at the age of 91. If you are of a certain age, the mere mention of Cheetah Rivera's name is exciting. West Side Story, Chicago, Broadway, Bernstein, Robbins, Bye Bye Birdie. I actually played Conrad Birdie in my ninth grade school play at New Jersey back in the 70s and watched videos of Cheetah Rivera in that show over and over again. But leave it to the greatest obituary writer in the country, Robert McFadden, to say the rest. To generations of musical aficionados, Miss Rivera was a whirling, bounding, high-kicking, elemental force of the dance, a seductive singer of smoky ballads and sizzling jazz, and her propulsive actress of vaudevillian energy. She appeared in scores of stage productions in New York and London, logged 100,000 miles on cabaret tours, and performed in dozens of films and TV programs. On Broadway, she created a string of memorably hard-edged women, Anita in West Side Story, Rosie in Bye Bye Birdie, the murderous floozy Velma Kelly in Chicago and the title role in Kiss of the Spider Woman, 1993. She sang enduring numbers in those roles, America and West Side Story, One Boy and Spanish Rose in Bye Bye Birdie, and All That Jazz in Chicago. Critics thumbed their uh, their noses for hyperboles to 
rhapsody of rhapsodies of, to rhapsodize about her pyrotechnics. Newsweek called her only the greatest musical theater dancer ever. Reviewing her performance in Bye Bye Birdie in the New York Times, one writer called her a flammable singer and gyroscopic dancer. Of her Tony Award-winning romp as Anna in The Rink in 1984, one writer in Time magazine wrote, Packing 30 years of Broadway savvy into the frame of a vivacious teenager, the 51-year-old entertainer could by now sell a song to the deaf. She was a hardworking perfectionist who rarely missed a beat, let alone a performance. Trained in classical ballet before joining the musical stage, she was beloved on Broadway where she began performing in the 1950s. With her show-stopping voice and eloquent body language, she radiated a charisma rooted in solid song and dance techniques and in the pleasure she derived from them. In 1986, Rivera had to suspend, suspend her dancing life when a taxi collided with her car in Manhattan, shattering her left leg in a dozen places. She underwent two surgeries, shattering her left leg in a dozen places. She underwent two surgeries with screws and plates used to reconnect her bones. Years of months and years of rehabilitation, and for many dancers, the injuries might have been career-ending. But not for Rivera. She said, you'll never see me in ballet slippers again because I don't have my Achilles tendon. <laughs> I can't do the full stretch, but I don't have pain anymore. And the only problem is that my, le my leg sets off metal detectors at airports. Cheetah Rivera, gone at 91, but not forgotten. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Ellis. Welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. Our first guest is Rachel Feldman. I asked her to come on the show because she has recently returned from Israel. And I wanted her to come, I wanted her to come on to share her experiences, her feelings about this emotionally wrenching and difficult subject uh, and this time of war, but also her personal feelings about visiting a place so holy and important to her. And as I do with all guests, to try and do some good and inform us all, and of course, try to have a little fun along the way. Full disclosure, I've known Rachel for many years in and out and around state government. We emphasize here that her views are her own and do not reflect the views of anyone in state government where she works. Rachel Feldman, welcome back to Vermont and welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Well, it's a thrill to have you. Uh, first off, Tell us why you went to Israel, how long were you there, and what did you do? Um, so this is my second trip to Israel. My first time in Israel was from 2011 to 2012 when I served as an Israel teaching fellow, teaching English in the integrated city of Ramle, Ramle Lod, which is about 25 minutes southeast of Tel Aviv. And I spent the year there on a partnership intended to improve English education in underperforming, um, under, uh, under, I'm sorry, um, just underperforming schools in Israel. So I spent right. a year there living in the community and teaching. And so one of my students, Roni Povanov, was murdered on October 7th by Hamas at the Nova Music Festival in Reim. And when I found out about his death, 
it immediately motivated me to return to Israel as soon as possible to bear witness. And so I returned two weeks ago from a trip where we visited uh, numerous towns in Kibbutzim that were attacked by Hamas on October 7th. I met with soldiers, I met with survivors, I met with hostage families. And I spent a lot of time with just people in Israel uh, experiencing what it is in the Middle East uh, that this war is bringing, and not just here in America, where it truly is a perception as opposed to a lived reality. Okay, uh, stick a pin in that last sentence. We, we can. We'll, let's get to that in a little bit. Um, I, whenever we talk about this subject, and we've talked about it probably four times on the show with various guests, I urge listeners to go on their computer and get out a map because uh, Israel in the Middle East is so far from the minds of so many of us, including me, that I always get out a map so that I can figure out who's who and where is where. Can you tell us what part of Israel did you visit? So I was primarily in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. That's where I was staying. Those are really two of the major cities in Israel. On October 7th, Hamas, when they broke down the border and stormed Israel and raped, tortured, murdered, and kidnapped more than 1,400 people of more than 30 different nationalities, they primarily targeted the southern part of Israel, which is near Gaza. Um, there is a border between Israel and Gaza, and since 2005, when Israel unilaterally withdrew from Gaza, Jews are not allowed into Gaza. So... I went down to an area of Israel that not that isn't frequently visited. Um, there are other areas where people go, but going near Gaza is known as being somewhat dangerous. And this was clearly important to you. You took a leave from your job. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Why was this so important to you? Is it is it religious? Is it cultural? Is it your about your identity, history? Just just go on about that if you would. Thank you. Um, so for me, I was not raised religious. Uh, I am Jewish very much by culture. What a lot of people don't know is that Judaism is not just a religion; it's a people. The Jews are a people. Um, we are a nation that has existed for more than 3,300 years. And so I was raised just very culturally Jewish. And my connection to Israel really wasn't anything that I could put a finger on until I went and I lived there. And for the first time in my life, I realized that when someone asked me if I was Jewish, I wasn't automatically afraid. And that's right. where my connection to Israel truly came in. I never truly realized the fear that I hold as a Jew in American society until I went to Israel and realized that I don't have to be afraid there. Um, so when the worst murder of Jews since the Holocaust happened on October 7th, when I started receiving videos on WhatsApp on my phone that I didn't understand, but I know now we're coming from Hamas because I've stayed in touch with my students since I left Israel and they have my phone. We've continued to talk. 
I knew there was something happening that was much bigger than just one act of terrorism that happens very frequently in Israel. Um, I knew that this was a bigger message. This is a bigger statement. Hamas broadcast this for the world to see, and the things that they did were intended for retaliation. I knew that I had to go back because living in the Middle East taught me more than anything that as a Westerner, I do not know and I do not understand. And I will never truly know and I will never truly understand. So the best thing that I can do is to be there and ask people directly, how can I help? Being here in America, my question needs to be, how can I help you, my neighbor? In terms of what I can do to help the Middle East from America, I need to go to the Middle East to do that. So that's why I went. And do you have uh, ancestors, you know, talk about your family and your ancestors uh, who must have come from over there somewhere um, and how that, how you think about that. So my mother's side of the family is primarily um, their diaspora Jews from Austria who immigrated to America in the late 1800s with rising anti-Semitism that was some of the precursor to the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. My father's side of the family were Russian diaspora Jews who um, immigrated to America after their village called Pinsk was destroyed in a pogrom again in the late 1800s. My great-grandfather and his sister were able to get to Portugal, where they got on a boat and came to New York. And that's the story of many American Jewish families, that our families are diaspora Jews from various parts of Western Europe or from Russia. Um, But when you go to Israel, what you find is that there are diaspora Jews from everywhere because the Jews have been exiled from everywhere. So my family's connection to Israel is not so much that anyone in my family lived there in the last thousand years or so, um, but it's that my grandfather, who liberated Dachau, told me that as long as we have Israel, Jews will be safe. My Grandparents who experienced incredible anti-Semitism in their lives told me that they felt okay knowing that I was here as a Jewish child because we had Israel, because the Jews now had a way to defend ourselves. Um, That's how my family really helped me understand the importance of Israel. And can you you now talk about a little bit about what you saw when you were in Israel? uh, not just not just of the war going on with Hamas right now, but you know other things, uh, cultural things, historic things. Uh, what is society like? What what did you bring back in your mind from from the visit? I saw national unity, like I haven't seen or experienced since right after September 11th here in America. There are political barriers that are being broken down, religious barriers, cultural barriers that are being broken down because of this incredible unity that comes from having your very safety and the foundation of your safety shaken to its core. What America experienced on September 11th is what Israel experienced on October 7th. 
the number of people, the 1,400 people, either raped, kidnapped, murdered, taken hostage by Hamas would be the equivalent of 40,000 Americans. And Israelis are mourning collectively. They're celebrating and living their lives collectively. And they're not celebrating anyone's death or suffering. They're celebrating, honestly, the everyday. They're celebrating the simple things like going surfing in Tel Aviv. They're celebrating the simple things like going to the shuk and getting a bunch of spices and inviting strangers for Shabbat because there are people visiting Israel now who don't have anywhere to go on Shabbat. Um, and what was what was so comforting to see is that there are the hostage posters everywhere. Their faces are everywhere and nobody is tearing them down because there is just, there's a joy in life and a joy of humanity that exists in Israel that you feel if you are there. And it was wonderful to know that the 135 hostages, including six Americans who are still being held in Gaza, are not forgotten. Um, okay, we, I, 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 I it's, 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 you know, having never been there, it's so important to listen to you talk about what it's like there because, um, you know, that's something I didn't expect that, that sense of unity, which in, in my mind, in America after nine 11 kind of dis in, in my mind dissipated quite quickly because of the fast pace of our society and the internet and social media and all that. But you seem to be saying that it's a little different over there. Yeah, that was the feeling that I got, um, that it is very different. And there is no forgetting. Um, Israel is about the size of New Jersey. It's a little bit bigger than Vermont with a total population of 9 million. And when I lived there the first time, there was a soldier named Gilad Shalit who had been held hostage by Hamas for years. And when I arrived in Israel, there were pictures of this person everywhere. I had no idea who it was. I didn't read or speak any Hebrew. And so I asked, who is this Gilad Shalit? And they told me the story. There's a soldier who's being held hostage. This had been years and the country continued to have Gilad Shalit's face everywhere and I remember, and I will never forget, the day that he came home, the entire country stopped to watch the televised footage, cheering. Um, it's a true sense of family. And I think that because of Israel's size, it, it makes it easier for people to continue to remember, to not forget, to not say someone else is going to do the job of continuing to fight for Gilad Shalit or for the 135 hostages who are in Gaza right now. It's everyone's job. It's the way that we as Vermonters feel about when something happens to our state, the way that all of Vermont responded after the floods on July 10th and 11th. It, that's what Israel is doing right now. That's how Israel is responding, and everyone in Israel is impacted, the same way that everybody in Vermont was impacted when we were taken out by a force of nature. It's like, what do we do to band together and rebuild? 
that's what Israel's doing. Uh, before the, we take our first break, and we'll get into the politics and war and peace and the peace plan, et cetera, or whatever the framework of a plan that's been proposed, but uh, I want to go back to a personal point, which is, you know, going to Israel is a lot for you. You got to take a leave from your job. You've got to buy the plane ticket. You've got to, you know, you got to find a place to stay. I, I, you know, I talk a little bit about, you know, why do it when you've got a busy life here, your inbox is filling up and, you know, it's a, it's hard to go there. Why do it? Because hard things are hard. And sometimes there is a moment, like October 7th was a moment when a person feels their world shift. And for me, my world shifted on October 7th. I, I have been an American Jew, a Vermont Jew, an expat Jew living in Israel. Um, but on October 7th, I knew that moving forward, I was always going to be a Jew first above anything else. And I think that the response that we have seen globally to October 7th has shown that anti-Semitism has not gone away. It's been there the whole time, just waiting for a reason for the lid to blow off. And it's been happening, and I look forward to talking about that um, and what's happening right here in Vermont. But when you feel that foundation of your safety shaken the way that Jews the world entire did on October 7th, for me, my response was, how do I help? And I knew that I would need to be able to focus fully on answering that question. And the answer to that question for me was, I need to get back to Israel. And I did. And bearing witness to what Hamas did on October 7th and what they have said they will do again and again is helping me know how I can help. How long did you stay? Um, so I have been working remotely with Israel during my leave, so for about a month and a half. And then I was in Israel for about two weeks, and I will be returning uh, fairly soon. Uh, Rachel, the October attacks by Hamas uh, have led to a response attack by Israel, uh, which is roiling political politics everywhere. How do you um, see that? You know, I understand that you're not a, 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 a senior political official or a an expert on war. Neither am I. How do you, yeah, you. <laughs> see it? How do you how do you see it every day? Reading about it, the war itself. What what is that? What feelings does it bring up inside you? Well, first on a personal level, I I have people who are Gaza in Gaza. Um, I I can't go into too much detail, but I also have connections to to Gazans, to Palestinians in Gaza. And war is horrible. There is no sugarcoating that. War is horrible. Um, so every day I fear for my people who are there. And by my people, I mean my carabouts. And that isn't 
just Jews, just Palestinians, just Arabs, just Israelis. It's the people of that region because this region is always fraught by war and terror. There is always conflict. Um, but what brings me the most true fear is how the Western response to the war manifests here at home in America when there is military action taken by Israel. There is a direct impact that can be felt by American Jews right here at home. I have been on the receiving end of this a lot. Um, I do put myself out there more publicly, but there are people who do not put themselves out there publicly who have been targeted online and physically simply for being Jewish. And so when I hear about the war and any news from the war, what I truly feel the most concerned about is that I am not sure that the majority of well-meaning Americans know how to differentiate their criticism of the Israeli government from the actions that they are taking against America's Jewish community. Uh, so now that leads me to this to this question or statement. You're, you're right. I agree with you. It's a it's you know there are increasing numbers of people who in our population who were not alive at the creation of Israel, uh, who have only read about the Holocaust in, in a, in, you know, in a distant history book, uh, the, the, the longer time goes on, the, the less and less personal connection we as Americans have with the creation of Israel and what that meant post-World War II. Um, I wonder if you could talk about that a little. Thank you. That is such an important question, and I think it's critical for people to remember that the word genocide came about in 1944 because a term was needed for what the Nazis did to the Jews and to six million other people, gypsies, homosexuals, communists, prisoners of war, countless other groups, six million Jews and six million other innocent people targeted for who they were. But this term genocide was invented for that and to refer to that. Um, and so, I, I'm sorry, could you please repeat the question? I think I lost the initial thread. No, that's fine. I, I, I was just commenting on how we as Americans, the, as time goes on, you know, yes, my mother, my mother. Holocaust education has been so diminished in our schools. Um, yeah. When I was in school, it, you know, in the 1990s, we had full months dedicated to the Holocaust alone. Um, I had an advantage growing up close to Washington, D.C., of being able to go to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. And I went back there recently and all that I could hear in my head was it's all just a little bit of history repeating, talking about propaganda, catchy, short, rhyming slogans, things that are easy to say, boycotts. I, it's textbook. And when we don't study 
and we don't learn from the lessons of the past. We are doomed to repeat them. And that is precisely what I feel is happening now, because Holocaust education has been greatly diminished in schools. The, the targeting of Jews specifically in the Holocaust has also been taken out of Holocaust education to a large extent, because, yes, the Holocaust did was a murder of 12 million. And it must be recognized that what starts with the Jews doesn't end with the Jews. Targeting the Jews just opens the door to being able to target anyone else with whom you don't like or disagree. But the fact that Jews were targeted, that Jews have been a nation oppressed and subjected to horrors over and over again, must be taught to our children. And when it isn't, what is happening now is the result, where people Um, are openly saying on the streets of America to gas the Jews again with impunity. People are saying this. Yeah. So they haven't learned the lessons. So let's, let's get to that. You returned home to Vermont to our own roiling, uh, politics and community around this subject. The city council, uh, was, was deciding whether to put something on the ballot, uh, the three Palestinian uh, college students were shot on the street in the old North End. Uh, this is, you know, this is right here now, and you get off a plane and you're reading about it. What was your reaction to all of this when you got back? Well, so I was actually here in Vermont when the three students were shot, and it is tragic and it is terrifying and it is terrifying for Vermont and for Vermonters. What struck me so much was how quickly the conflict in the Middle East was immediately ascribed to this instead of there's three young men who were just shot on the streets of Burlington. I there were, I am not trying to make this about the Middle East because I don't think it ever should have been made about the Middle East. But people were putting out there on Twitter, where was this Vermont Jew around six o'clock? Like before police had even issued a statement, people were out there saying that this must have been a hate crime done by somebody Jewish. I, Violence is horrible. There is no excuse for it. There is no sugarcoating it. The same way war is horrible, there is no excuse for it. There is no sugarcoating it. Seeing how Vermont has jumped on has jumped on rhetoric that is honestly intended to inflict violence and cause violence through no bad intention is what is most terrifying because I truly believe that there is propaganda that is capitalizing on the well-intentioned compassion of the West from the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. Yes. That sounds very good. Who wouldn't stand behind people having freedom, but in Arabic, 
the translation is from the water to the water, Palestine will be Arab, which means the state of Israel and the Jewish people will not exist. And so I feel as though what I'm seeing in Vermont is a lot of very well-intentioned people with a lot of compassion that we show in the best ways towards each other time and time again. As I experienced as someone who had to evacuate my home by canoe in the July floods, we've, we show each other such compassion. And I think a lot of Vermonters think they're showing compassion when in reality they are making their Jewish neighbors feel gravely unsafe. So this, this, uh, Tell us more about um, you feel in the in an email exchange with me before the show. You talk about feeling you know you're on Twitter, uh, you're exposed out there, and you, you, there there's a sense of abandonment uh, by you of some of your community here in Vermont. Could you talk about that? Um. Well. Uh- my real goal here isn't to admonish or shame anybody because, again, this is very complex. And I know that a lot of people want to help and don't know what to do. So I would rather pivot that and focus on the good things that have come of this, which is for me personally, now that I can be out there as, hi, I'm Rachel, and I'm a Jew, and I'm here to answer your questions. I am always here for a well-intentioned conversation where people are curious and want to learn. I have no agenda to push other than let's not hurt each other, and let's try to listen to each other, especially to people with whom we disagree. Um, I've also found that as I was talking about the unity that exists in Israel, There has been such an incredible unity that has come about in the Jewish community and with friends of us in America and in the diaspora. Um, There's a group, Jewish Action. You can find us on Facebook. And we're connected with Jews throughout Vermont who, if prior, you know, you hadn't had an affiliation with a congregation or if, like me, you just are kind of the only Jew in your circle in most places. You didn't really have anywhere to go, but we're finding each other because we can lean on each other. And there is so much diversity of opinion in the Jewish community. Um, It's one of the things that defines the Jewish community. You say you put two Jews in a room and you have four opinions. It's true. But (laughs) it's a place of acceptance and just, hey, we're all in this together and it sucks, but you know what? They've tried to kill us before. They didn't succeed. We'll have a holiday and we'll eat. That's why Jews have so many holidays. They're to commemorate the times that people tried to kill us and failed, and then we party. So there will be a holiday on October 7th, and that's what I'm finding so much is that the communities of people who truly want to support, they are not going out and screaming in anger. They're coming together and baking for the Hillel kids at UVM. They're saying, hey, let's have Shabbat together. Or, hey, how about we set up a place for a community dialogue and discussion with anybody who just wants to learn 
about what's going on. And I think that that's our responsibility as Vermonters and as Americans is to talk to each other and not take these headlines in the news and use them to admonish each other. Really understand the impact of our words on our neighbors. Rachel, in the few minutes that we have left, where do we go from here? Uh, Ceasefire, two-state solution, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, the role of the United States, um, and increasing pressure on Israel uh, politically to back off its uh, war in Gaza. How do you think about this every day as a as a just a regular person? Oh, well, thank you, Kevin, because those questions, I have to say, I, I don't remember announcing I was running for president. I'm not sure I have these answers. Um, <laughs> and I I think that's, that's really the where do we go from here is I don't have all those answers. And we don't have all the answers, but I know a few things. I know that the Jewish people have a right to self-determination and Israel should exist. I know that there are innocent people on both sides of this border. And I know that there needs to be a future where people can live together as they choose in peace. I know that that future does not include Hamas who has said that they will repeat the atrocities of October 7th again and again and again, and not just in Israel, but until they destroy Jews all over the world. Hamas cannot be part of this. I know that we as Americans have a responsibility to take care of each other, and I have lived many places in this country. Nowhere have I felt I have had better neighbors or been able to be a better neighbor than here in Vermont. And so if we as Vermonters can take a deep breath and remember that Israel is a 12-hour plane ride from JFK, it is seven hours away, but what we are doing here has a very real impact on our neighbors, I think we'll really be able to come to a place where we can say, what can we do moving forward? What lessons can we take from this to make sure that our children are not being taught to hate the way that children in Gaza, there is proof, were being taught to hate. Like, how can we learn the lessons of the Middle East and apply them in America instead of how can we apply America to the Middle East? Um, right, right. I, I just urge everybody to listen to each other and to truly come from a place of saying, I don't know, but I want to know what you think. Uh, there is a uh, um, uh, the United States, uh, Saudi Arabia, and other countries have a what's being described as a rough framework for a ceasefire and a plan going forward. Have you read about it? Do you care about it? Do you reject it because uh, Saudi Arabia is involved? How do you think about that? Well. Again, I tie back to I am not a geopolitical expert. I, I do know that anti-Semitism is ingrained in many countries in the Middle East. And 
good wishes for the continued existence of Israel, they come with a different impetus. Um, so, again, this is where I draw back to being there. I know how much I don't know. And I want to say that what is happening to the hostages right now is intolerable. And I have no answer for what I wouldn't do if this was my sister who was being held hostage in a tunnel, if it was my mother or my father or my one-year-old or my four-year-old like Sierra and Ariel Bibas, I don't know what I would do. And I think that is part of the intent of Hamas is to inflame these impassioned subjects and things that we can all relate to. Um, and so I don't have the answers to what the next step is or who should be negotiating this. Or I just know Hamas has said that they will not honor a ceasefire. And so how do you call for a ceasefire if Hamas will not honor that ceasefire? They shot a barrage of rockets at Tel Aviv on Monday at 4.50 when they knew people would be in their cars, not near bomb shelters. I, how do you have a ceasefire there? But yeah. what I know we have in America, we have the ability to talk to each other and show compassion for each other in safety. Rachel, before we have to go, can you reflect a little bit about the recent uh, city council meetings about about that ballot item uh, in Burlington, and the, the city council decided not to put this issue on the ballot. Did you follow that closely at all, and did it fill you with uh, sort of emotion and feelings as you watched it? Uh, I was actually in the room for that city council meeting where the city council considered whether to put the item on the ballot. This item would have, it was an anti-Israel, anti-Semitic item. And what I felt in that room was gratitude for my journalism training so that I could keep a straight face as some of the most hateful rhetoric that I've ever heard in person was said. Um, and I think the real lesson of what happened with that ballot item even being considered was on full display at this week's Monday City Council meeting, where the meeting was Zoom bombed with, now I can officially say, the most anti-Semitic, racist, bigoted language from callers from across the country who claim to be from Burlington that I've ever heard in my life. Because when we open the door to a discussion where, as I said, people are well-intended but cannot differentiate their anti-Israel criticism from their anti-Semitic rhetoric, it opens the door for hatred on all fronts. And, Rachel, I've got to um, go. Um, we're, yep. we're, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but we're out of no time. No problem. I'm very grateful to you for coming on the show. That's Rachel Feldman back from Israel. And thank you. We'll have you back again very soon. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.